Pastor's been um, preaching a lot about Genesis, and, and I wanted to just um, make sure that the scripture was fresh in my mind when he preached on it. Um, and the second reason is I've always struggled with the Old Testament, and I don't know if anybody else has ever struggled with it, but um, it just seems to me that God in the Old Testament seems harsher and less approachable than Jesus in the New Testament. And this was bothering me because the Bible says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I also did not like thinking um, of God in this light. I didn't like thinking of him as being unapproachable or harsh. So before I started reading, I prayed. And I, asked the, I told him what was bothering me. And I just asked him to show me who he is. I asked him that as I read his word, that he would give me a better understanding of who he is that I would see him in his word. And so that's what I'd like to talk to you about this morning, just a few of the things that he showed me um, in his word that I really had never noticed before. First, um, he's a God of compassion. The word compassion is defined as sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings and misfortunes of others. Among emotion researchers, it is defined as a feeling that arises when you're confronted with another's suffering and feel motivated to relieve that suffering. This is a bit closer to the Bible's definition of, suffer, of uh, compassion. So this is more what, what God feels for you when I say he's a God of compassion. So as I read the Old Testament, I was just amazed at all the examples of God's compassion for his people. And these are things that I'd read many times before, but it never really spoke to me. I never really noticed it. So the first thing I would like to share with you is the story of Hagar and Ishmael. Um, everyone is probably pretty familiar with the story. Um, while waiting for God to fulfill um, his promise of a son, Sarah decides it'd be a good idea if Abraham would have a child with um, Hagar, the slave woman. So Ishmael's born. But when God fulfills his promise and Isaac is born, Sarah doesn't want Ishmael to share in his inheritance. So she orders Abraham to send them away. So Genesis 21, 11 through 20 says, the matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah says because it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also because he is your offspring. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He sent her off with the boy. She wandered into the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under a bush. Then she went and sat down a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying, and an angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what's the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. And God was with the boy as he grew up, and God kept his promise and made him into a great nation. So even though Ishmael was not a part of God's plan, he still took care of him because he belonged to Abraham and promised to make him into a nation. But the thing that stood out to me about this story is that God heard a little boy crying, and he responded. He sent an angel to reassure them and to help them. The next example of God's compassion that I wanted to share with you starts in Exodus. So this is also a familiar scripture. 
Moses has been born, and he's been raised in Pharaoh's house, but he flees to Midian after killing an Egyptian. Exodus 2, 23, 25 says, so during that long period when he's in Midian, the king of Egypt dies. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. And again in Exodus 3, 7, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. He was concerned about them. That's the sentence that spoke to me out of all of that. He was concerned for his people. Do you ever wonder when you're going through hard times, when it sometimes feels like God is far away, if he cares about what you're going through. I've thought that at times. And I've even prayed, God, where are you? I can't find you. But then I read scriptures like this one, and I see that God is concerned about his people. And I know that he does care about what I'm going through, and he's concerned about you too. He hears you when you cry out, and he will do whatever it takes to help you. And even when we make mistakes, even when we fail him, he is always faithful. He still has compassion for his people. And another example of this, I read in Nehemiah. And again, talking about the Israelites. It says, you came down on Mount Sinai. You spoke to them from heaven. You gave them regulations and laws that are just and right, and decrees and commands that are good. You made known to them the holy Sabbath and gave them commands, decrees, and laws through your servant Moses. In their hunger, you gave them bread from heaven, and in their thirst, you brought them water from the rock. You told them to go in and take possession of the land you had sworn with uplifted hand to give them. But they, our ancestors, became arrogant and stiff-necked, and they did not obey your commands. They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and in their rebellion appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them, even when they cast for themselves an image of a calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt, or when they committed awful blasphemies. Because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the wilderness. By day, the pillar of cloud did not fail to guide them on their path, nor the pillar of fire by night to shine on the way they were to take. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna from their mouths, and you gave them water for their thirst. For 40 years, you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet become swollen. 
So as I mentioned in the beginning, I started reading in Genesis. Have you ever wondered why God created us? Genesis tells us the how, but it never says why. I couldn't find a scripture that answered that question. So remember my prayer at the start of this. I asked God. I asked him why. I didn't get an immediate answer, but as I kept reading, uh, one thought kept coming to my mind. Did God want a family? But as I kept reading in the Old Testament, I realized none of the authors ever really refer to God as Father. When Moses asked God what he should say when the Israelites asked what God's name was, God's response was, I am who I am. Tell them I am sent me. He didn't say, tell them it's their heavenly father. It doesn't seem to me that they felt that kind of relationship with God. They knew him as mighty and powerful and awesome, and they had seen him do many miraculous things for them, but I don't think a sense of family, um, I don't get a sense of family in his relationships in the Old Testament. And I wondered, do you think that if the Israelites do you think the Israelites' history and story would have been different if they realized that God saw them as his children, if they would have seen him as Father God and just instead of the mighty, awesome God that, that of course, he is? So now I'm going to jump ahead to the New Testament. Jesus is finally here. <laughs> and he starts teaching first about his father. Matthew 6, 6, 8 he says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Your Father knows what you need before you ask him. He wants the people to know who God is. He wants to show them the Father's heart. He wants them to know God the way that he knows him. And later, when Jesus knows the time is coming for his crucifixion, he comforts the disciples. John 14, 5 through 10. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Don't you believe that I am in the father and that the father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Jesus is telling them, I've shown you the Father. All the things that I've done and said, that's the Father. You know him now. Jesus came to this world to be the sacrifice for our sins so that we could come to our Father, so he could be our Father, not some distant God who we pray to and hope he maybe notices us or hears us.
And I had written down some scriptures. Um, so then you notice in the New Testament all the scriptures that talk about how we're his children. Galatians 3.2 says, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. John 1.12-13, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And 1 John 3, 1, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. So, so many things point to the fact that we are God's children. So, some scriptures are quoted so much, and we hear them so much, that I feel that sometimes they lose their power for us. At least that's what happens for me. So, John 3, 16 is a good example. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Sometimes it helps me if I say it a different way and I apply it to myself. So I'm going to do that with the scripture. I'm going to say it this way. God, your father, loved you so much and wanted to be with you forever. He did not want you to go away from him to perish so he was willing to give his most precious son so that you could be with him forever. When I was asked to share with you today, I wasn't sure how to share what God has been showing me about himself. It's hard to describe exactly what has been happening because a lot of it is just new feelings that I now have about the Lord as I read his word. And a lot of it is just noticing um, a lot of these little details that I didn't really see before or pay much attention to. I had several thoughts, and I would start to write them down, and then they wouldn't seem right. Pastor Jasmine told me that I was overthinking it, and to stop starting over or I would never finish. She was quite horrified when I told her I wasn't done Saturday morning. And so she told me to just write uh, what was on my heart. So I took her advice, and this is what I tried to do. Um, I wasn't sure how to end it, and so I prayed, and I asked the Lord, what would you have me tell them about you? What would you have me say? And so I waited, and then this is what I wrote. He wants you to know that he sees you. He hears you. He is with you in every sorrow and heartache and in every joy. He will never leave you. He is jealous for you and longs for you because he knows that you're hurting. And if you would just come to him, you would find comfort and rest. He loves you. You are his child. So that is where I'm going to end this today. And I hope that um, you would just take that away with you, if nothing else, that God loves you so much. And we hear that so often that I think it loses its power, too. So I pray that it doesn't. I pray that when you read your Bible and you get to know him, you will see the God of compassion, a God that cares for you, that the, little, the God that heard the little boy crying hears you crying too, and he sees you, and he's moved to change your situation. And all you have to do is ask him. And if you will seek him, Jesus promised you will find him. So I just pray that in this new year that that would be our focus, is that we would just spend time with him. That's all he wants you to do. He wants to spend time with you. 
and he wants to show you who he is. So that is my prayer for all my brothers and sisters today, that you would just seek him. You will find him, and you will not be disappointed in who you find. Thank you.